Hello, my name is Jalissa Borkhart, and I'm a student at Providence Baptist College. Thank you for tuning in to Maverick Messages. Psalm 55, for sake of time, look at verse 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. Isn't that good? He shall never suffer, suffer the righteous to be moved. So let me talk to you a little bit today about the danger of the burden. You see what he said there? Cast thy burden. The danger of the burden. There may not be a more helpful verse in the Bible for Christians than Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. Now David is the human pen of this psalm or song. He was to become the king. He was to become wealthy. He was to become an aged sage. But when he wrote this song, he was a younger man, anointed to be king, but on the run from the then king, Saul. And he has a burden that he's carrying. And some of the burden may have been physical because they were chasing after him like a, like a, a hunter would chase after a, a, a game bird on a cold day. One verse in 1 Samuel tells us that Saul gathered 3,000 men to hunt for him. Like a man would hunt for a partridge. And a bird on a cold day, will, will, they'll hunker down. You almost have to kick them out of their cover. Because they're hunkered down. And they were hunting for David under every rock and, and, and in every crevice and, and in every tuft of grass looking for him. So his burden was partly physical. I'm sure he's tired. Got to be worn out. Even though he's just a young man. Other facets of the burden David uh, was carrying maybe were spiritual or emotional or, or mental. But he's got a burden. He's talking, he's talking here about burden in verse 22. And one of, the, one, of the, one of the primary things that jumps out at me in this whole chapter is the temptations that came with this burden. And people, listen, the temptations that come with burdens can be as difficult, if not more so, than, than the burden itself. Because every time you or I are carrying a burden, there are temptations that spring up associated with that burden. I want to point out some four of them, if I have time this morning, four of them to you here uh, in this chapter. The first, the first burden, the first temptation about the burden is to think that God is unconcerned. And that's right away in verses 1 and 2, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. So you know that David took his burden to the Lord he says in both prayer and supplication, prayer is asking. Supplication is strong crying. You know, our prayer sometimes can be as simple as just we ask God for just, we ask Him for one thing one time and God gives the answer. That's praying, asking, and then supplication is, is crying. Supplication is when your emotions have kicked in. And this thing is on you so heavy that it, it moves you to tears, okay? He says, I mourn. In my complaint, complaint, and make a noise. So it's obvious here that David is more than just casually asking God to ease him of his burden. He's asking. He's fervent. He's intense. He's taken it to the Lord. He's probably gotten to gotten to the point where he's emotionally involved in his supplication, and he says, "God, please don't hide yourself. Please give attention to my need." 
And young people, when burdens are resting heavy on us and taking a toll of some sort on us, we can be tempted to think that God is hiding from our prayer. If he doesn't answer in just the, 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 the amount of time that we think he should, we think he's hiding. He's not interested. He's not concerned. And nothing could be further from the truth. I love Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I like that verse. A very present help in trouble. How many times have you found out from a relative or a friend that they were going through a difficult time and maybe carrying a heavy burden and you listen to them talk about it and, and, and your response is something like this, man, I'm sorry. If I had only known, I would have. And it's sincere and it's real and it's truthful and it's nice to know that Someone would have offered to help if they had known. But how does that help in the moment? But young people, listen. God is present. And he is always in the moment. And to fall for the temptation to think that he does not care, it's not right. And really, it's not fair to God because that's not who he is. He's a very present help in the time of trouble. You remember the story of Jairus when his daughter was dying and he came to find Christ? There were two different, two different men that came. One man came and said, look, you don't have to come to my house. Just speak the word. Well, Jairus, he came to Jesus. He said, will you come to my house? My daughter's dying. And Jesus said, yes. He said, I'll come to your house. And so there, there, there's a massive crowd of people and the, the disciples and others, and they start evidently probably moving toward Jairus' house. And then you remember what happened, that woman with the issue of blood who spent all of her living right? She comes to Jesus. She's on her knees. So she's crawling on her knees or, or bends down her knees in the midst of that crowd. And all she does, all she does is touch the hem. How big is that? Just the hem. I, I love several places in the Bible where it, it, it makes it known to us that, you know, <laughs> Just a little bit of God goes a long way in life. Just a little bit. Remember when the Syrophoenician woman said, uh, even the dogs eat the crumbs. All I need is a crumb. That's all I need. And all this lady did was touch the hem of his garment. And remember, who touched me? And the disciples are incredulous. Well, who touched you? Yeah, all these people around you, everybody wants to reach and touch Jesus. And, and you're asking, who touched you? Well, look at all these. What, what, do you, what do you mean? And he said, no, 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 no. Virtue's gone out of me. And finally, she presents herself, that woman, and she's well. She's made whole. Just by touching them. Well, while all that is happening for that woman and people are rejoicing, look at her, look at her, she's well. While that's going on, the people have come from Jairus' house and they say to Jairus, thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. And immediately, go read the text sometime. Immediately Jesus turns to Jairus and says, fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. At that very moment, Jesus was a very present help 
in trouble. And when you're under the load, you're carrying a burden. Maybe nobody else in the world knows about it. You've taken it to God. You've prayed. You've asked. And you've come to the place where you're just emotionally involved in this. Your, your, supplication, your, your, your prayer is supplication and pleading with God. And, and you're tempted to the devil crawls up on your shoulders and says, you know what? He, he, he doesn't really care. He's a liar. God is a very present help in the time of trouble. I love it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15. The Bible says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. I love the wording of that verse. The feeling. How heavy is the burden that you are carrying? Only you know. You might try to tell somebody else about it. Your parents might know about it your brothers and sisters, your friends here, but only you know the feeling of that burden. Nobody else knows it except for your high priest. He knows the weight of it. He knows the exact weight of the burden you're carrying. He's touched by the feeling of your infirmity. So that burden that you may be carrying, he's touched with the feeling of it. He'll be a very present help in the time of trouble. God cares about your burden and does not hide himself from them. So do not be tempted to believe that he is unconcerned. All right? Number two, the second temptation is to give in to hopelessness. Give in to hopelessness. Look at verses four and five. David says, my heart is sore pained within me. And the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me. And horror hath overwhelmed me. David said his heart was pain. Young people, you probably know this. Some of you know this. Emotional pain is sometimes worse than body pain. Some of you know that to be true. Some of you have been through circumstances and situations in your family back home where the emotional pain was so intense it was greater than anything you've ever felt in your body physically. The emotional pain. What, you look at the words David used to describe his heart being pained. He used the word terrors and fearfulness and trembling and horror. All of those words are used to describe the pain he was going through. And people, if any of those are left unchecked, they can result in hopelessness. Hopelessness. My situation is beyond hope. I think of Paul on the ship in the middle of the storm. He said, Paul said, the great apostle said, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. It's hopeless. But young people, hope was not dead because God was not dead. And as long as God lives, hope lives. Hope only dies when God dies, and the last time I read the scriptures, I don't think our God's dying anytime soon. And Paul, after he said that, all hope that we should be saved, it's hopeless. The angel of God came and stood beside him in the night and said, Paul, be of good cheer. Nobody's life is going to be lost. But look, look, when you're without hope, when the devil has convinced you that you're without hope, you're miserable. You're miserable. Hopelessness is a miserable feeling. But listen very carefully. Hope should spring eternal every day for saved people. 
because every day is a new day with the Lord. You know what Jeremiah said? He said, my strength and my hope is perished. My strength and my hope is perished. Jeremiah was right there at the stage of hopelessness, and then he said, this I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It's a, well, what in the world, Jeremiah? You said you were right at the place of hopelessness, and now you're saying that you have hope. What in the world happened to you that moved you from hopelessness to hope? Well, Jeremiah said, I recall. So what did you recall? What did you recall to your mind? Well, I'll tell you what he said. It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You know, when we're tempted to think that things are hopeless, we are in need of a recall. We need to recall that God's mercies are based on His great compassion and they're new every morning because God is faithful. His mercy, His love, His faithfulness are all intertwined to provide hope while the burden is painful. You don't give in to hopelessness. Now, you know what? It may not turn out like you want it to. I'm sure, you know, I had a brother, age 49, who died of a brain cancer. Brain cancer. It didn't turn out. Well, you know, we asked God to heal him. God took him to heaven. That's pretty good healing. That's pretty good healing. Yeah. You know, don't reach the hope. I was telling the fellows out there before we came in, we just recently had a 62-year-old lady who came home from, I, talked, I had prayer for her in class, and she came home from work on a Friday afternoon, and within 48 hours she was intubated, sedated at the hospital in Kankakee with a blood infection that had gone septic through her entire body. She had RSV, she had pneumonia, she had all this stuff going on. And that blood infection had gone through her brain, had gone through her heart, carried that, that had gone septic, carried it throughout her whole body. And they told her husband, Frank, she's had hundreds of strokes, hundreds and many strokes in her brain. And her heart's got to have damage. And they, she, started, they started, she started improving a little bit, and they brought her, brought her out of the sedation, and they did the MRI and all the tests that they run. And my wife was there the Friday morning visiting Paula, when the doctor walked in and said, this is miraculous. You don't have anything in your, in your brain. You don't have anything in your heart. I don't know what God you're praying to, but this is a miracle. <laughs> and it may not always turn out that way. It didn't turn out that way for Tom, except for Tom's healing took a different form. A different form. It's not hopeless. Don't ever think God is unconcerned. Don't ever give in to the temptation of hopelessness. Temptation number three is to seek escape from the burden. Look at what he said in verse six. He's escaped. Oh, and I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Well, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my refuge, my escape from the windy storm and tempest. 
Listen, David said, if I could just escape this burden, I'd love to fly away and have a place in the wilderness. People to think that we can escape from the burdens and heartaches of life is not real. It's not real. They pull into everybody's driveway. They stop at everybody's doorstep. They enter the front door of everybody's life. Everybody. Nobody escapes it. And when the burden is on, you can't escape. I think of Elijah in 1 Kings 19 after Jezebel made that threat. Remember what he said? He's on the run. He says, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life. If I was to ask you, who, in your opinion, was one of the most powerful, great prophets in the Old Testament? I'll promise many of you would say, Elijah, he is suicidal. Suicidal. Take my life. Suicide is the devil's dirty answer when he has convinced a person there's no way out of a burdensome situation. Escape from a burden, people, is not an answer. Uh, burdens are real. Escaping them is not real. And to attempt to escape them is an exercise in, fu in futility. And people try other means besides suicide. Now, we had a guy just saved recently at the church of baptized. He's growing leaps and bounds. And I preached this the other day. And afterwards, he said, you know, I'm really thankful you touched on suicide. He said, I've tried that twice. A suicide rate up amongst teenagers and young people across the states. It's horrible. In some cases, the number one cause of death in some areas. I had a friend, a pastor, pastor in a small town here in Illinois. I forget how many funerals he did in one year from the, from the public high school kids that committed suicide. Right here in Illinois. Uh, burdens are real. Escaping them is not. People don't try suicide. They'll run to booze. They'll run to drugs. They throw all morality out the window. They run to another geographical location. If I can just move away from here. If I can run to another marriage. All of that type of thing is frustrating because it's only temporary. The high ends, the drunk ends, and then you, go, you come off of that. The pleasure and immorality is only for a moment. Uh, the burden uh, meets you at the next location, wherever you go. I've had people leave. Faith Baptist Church under the pressure of a burden, thinking that they would just move and, and move out of the state. You can't escape a burden. Can't do it. And that's what David said here. If I could just fly away. Burdens cannot be escaped. Number four, the fourth temptation is to be, and this is probably the most common, it's to become bitter towards life and people. Look at verse 12. For it was not an enemy. That reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. Verse 14. We took sweet counsel together. Walked into the house of God in company. Let death seize upon them. Let them go down quick into hell. For wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. This is the most common temptation. People turn the pain and sorrow of the burden into bitterness and ugliness and hatred towards somebody or toward life in general. Allow the burden to make you a victim of unpleasant circumstances. You become the victim. 
You know, maybe the burden is because of someone's irresponsibility. Maybe the burden is the result of secondhand suffering. You had nothing to do with the choices that were made that resulted in the burden you're carrying. I pastor teenagers like that who are carrying burdens that they had nothing to do with. It's called secondhand suffering. Choices made by others, in many cases, parents. Maybe it's the way a family member treated you. Maybe it's something somebody said about you. Maybe it's some unfortunate event that the devil has used to cast a heavy, cumbersome burden on you. The danger with that, kid, kids, is you ending up bitter. And I'm going to say this. When you allow yourself to become bitter, it is a lose-lose. Because it's defined for you in Hebrews 12, 15. Any root of bitterness springing up will trouble you and thereby many be defiled. And if you allow the burden to spring up into bitterness... You are the loser. You lose personally, and those closest to you, they lose as well. There's a man in our church named Chico Rios, the kid, the young people here. Sorry about the word kids. The young people here, they would never, ever, ever tell you that Chico Rios is a bitter, ugly man. He's a happy man. He's a soul winner. He, he, he's, he's a thoughtful, he's thoughtful when he prays. He doesn't just say words. Good man. Brings folks to church every now and again. He had an experience. He, he was born and reared down in San Diego, Texas. In San Diego, Texas. They were poor. Him and his brothers slept in one bed. Four or five brothers, four or five boys sleeping in one bed. They didn't sleep for beds this way. They didn't sleep this way. They slept crossways. On one bed. Four or five of them. His dad served in World War II. His dad's brothers served in World War II. One of the brothers' brothers-in-law served in World War II. They all loaded up in a big truck, two or three vehicles and one big truck. And I don't know how many people they took north to go up to Michigan to work in the blueberry and strawberry fields. Migrant farmers. Migrants. And they stopped in Arkansas, either Texarkana, he couldn't remember Texarkana, Little Rock, somewhere they stopped in Arkansas for something to eat. They went to the diner and the man behind the counter said, you, you folks can't eat here, can't you read? You have to leave. And he's a boy. And they go outside and here's this big sign on the window, they hadn't seen it, it said, Mexicans, no Mexicans or the N-word allowed. These guys had fought for, in World War II. And they weren't allowed to eat. They protected that man's freedom to have his own restaurant. They went to Michigan. And when they left Michigan after the harvest, they, they, they landed in Grant Park, Illinois, which is about 25 miles from our church, over by the Indiana border. And there was 10 of them, 10 kids. And his dad showed up at the school, opening day of school, with these 10 Mexican kids and super, no, no, they can't go to school here. We're not allowed here. Can't go to school. 
And the man argued with me. These kids are born in America. But I, I, I fought in World War II with them to begin. And Chico, he's telling me this story. He said, you know, I was, a, I, was a, I was a boy. We got back to our little place. We were staying there in Grant Park. And I looked at my dad. And I said, Dad, what are we going to do? And his dad said, we're going to go back tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. And they did. And the superintendent let them go to school. Now, those, those are ugly memories for that guy. But he has no bitterness, no ugliness. In fact, he almost chuckles about them. My point is, young people, a lot of burdens that come our way in life are out of our control. And what we, what we are in control of is, do we allow it to make us bitter? Do we allow it to make us ugly? And if we do, it's a lose-lose. You say, okay, so the temptations we face when carrying a burden are sometimes more significant than the burden itself. So what to do to avoid thinking that God is unconcerned, to avoid becoming overcome with hopelessness, to avoid seeking to escape something you can't escape, to avoid becoming bitter towards life and or people, what do you do with the burden? Verse 22, you cast it. You cast it. Cast thy burden. What comes to your mind when you read the word cast? It means to hurl, throw, heave, fling, pitch. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. I don't think they all grabbed an arm, you know, four guys grabbed an arm and a leg each. And they said, okay, here we go. Careful now, easy. Hey, Jonah, hold your nose. Count to three, Jonah. We're going we're gonna to drop you in the, in the ocean. I don't think that happened. I think they all grabbed a limb, and it's like, okay, boys, on three. One, two. They wanted that goofball as far away as they could. They threw him as far as they could. People, this, 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 this is not, this is not casting. It doesn't say give your burden to the Lord. It says cast your burden on the Lord. Aren't you done? Aren't you tired of carrying it? Say, if I could only get to God. Well, the truth of the matter is, that'd be great. But from what I read in this verse, you don't really even have to get there. Cast it. Throw it. Hurl it. Heave it. But get it to God somehow, some way. That's what God is saying. Give the burden to me. And I'll not only, listen, God says, just give Cast the burden to me. I'm, I am able to take your burden in one hand, and I'm able to take you in the other. And I'm able to sustain you so that the righteous are not moved. And I will not let this burden move you off course. I will not let this burden mess with your thinking about me. I won't let this burden lead you to hopelessness. I won't let this burden, you know, try to give you some futile attempt at escape. I won't let this burden make you bitter, but you're going to have to. You're going to have to cast it. Throw it. Give it to me. Throw it to me. And people, that's the only answer. That is the only answer when it comes to the burdens that you're carrying. You're carrying. You know what? Maybe you're at the age in life right now where, but I will tell you what, when I was in college, when I was in college, I carried a couple burdens. Disappointment from people that I looked up to. The guy that won me to Christ. The man that preached the gospel to me. Both of them. 
hit me like a rock. If you're not careful, the temptations that are accompany the burden that present themselves are almost bigger than the burden itself. If you don't do what David said and just cast it, just cast it on God. Let him take care of you. Please tune in again to hear another Maverick message.